Let me pray this benediction over all the mothers and over all the women of Purpose Church. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, amen. Happy Mother's Day, uh, Purpose Church. Uh, so good to be together here. Today we're going to look at the other Proverbs 31 Mother's Day sermon. The other Proverbs 31 Mother's Day sermon. Now today is my 40th Mother's Day sermon that I've preached uh, through the years. And several times through the years, I have preached from Proverbs 31 verses 10 through 31. Uh, you know, we call her the Proverbs 31 woman. Now, how many of you ladies out there, wherever you are in your uh, living room or at your computer, how many of you have ever been annoyed by who we call the Proverbs 31 woman because she's just so doggone perfect? Uh, and we pay all of our attention to her, and I've never noticed before Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 9. You, you pay so much attention to verses 10 to the end of the chapter that everybody ignores the first nine verses. Uh, it's kind of like this verse in the Bible. Uh, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now that is just an awesome, amazing verse, but we don't give it much attention. Why? Because it's John 3, 17. And nobody pays attention to you when the verse right next to you is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, it's the same with Proverbs 31 verses 1 through 9. Nobody thinks about you as a Mother's Day passage when your next door neighbor is Proverbs 31 verses 10 through 31. But I think you're going to agree with me by the end of this message that this first part of Proverbs 31 that we ignore so much is just a fantastic Mother's Day uh, sermon passage. Just a great passage for a Mother's Day sermon. And it's, by the way, it's much less annoying than the rest of the chapter with the perfect uh, Proverbs 31 woman. So let's dig in together. A king listens to his mother. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 1, the, the sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance that his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son. The answer to my prayers. Three times this mother says, listen, listen, listen. Now, Lemuel means dedicated to God, uh, which is like Hannah did with her child in 1 Samuel 1, verses uh, 10 through 11. We really don't know for sure who King Lemuel was. But according to Jewish tradition, he was Solomon, and this challenge is from his mother, Bathsheba. Now, some Bible teachers believe that this was uh, Lemuel was uh, Bathsheba's kind of a pet name for him, um, kind of like a nickname uh, for Solomon, because it was close to his other name, which was Jedidiah, which means loved by the Lord, uh, which was given to him in 2 Samuel 12, verse uh, 25. And so Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1, verse 8, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So now Bathsheba is going to teach her son, Solomon, the one thing that she wants him to remember. And so we ask the same question of what Bathsheba is going to share. We ask that same question of some of the mothers of Purpose Church. We ask them this question. If your children 
could only remember one thing that you've said, what would you like it to be? And this is what they said. If my children could only remember one lesson, it would be to celebrate everything. The secret to true happiness is Jesus. Focus on Jesus and how much he loves you. We limit ourselves when we are concerned with others think of us. Life is more fun if you do things God's way. Know the Lord, know Jesus, follow his lead, and not be afraid to be counterculture. Live with an open hand. If you live open-handed, then you're living generously and humbly, and you're relying completely on God. If you find somebody that thinks differently than you, not to just split and run, but to work through it, or to be like, you know what, it's okay to think differently, you know? If you move out of the zip code, you need to call your mother on a regular basis. Even when things look like they may not work out, God usually does work it out in the end. It's not really so much of what you say, it's more how you say it. Do not lose faith, because no matter if the things is wrong, God will be always on their side because nobody loves them like him. I teach them that they need to take care of their parents when they get old. Go up to other people and see if they're okay. Go make someone feel important. The blessings that they receive, the uh, it's, it's a privilege. Following Jesus is the best decision you could ever make. Make change happen. To be quick to say I'm sorry and to be quick to forgive. It's worth it to do the right thing. Never parent before you've had your first cup of coffee. <laughs> well, the lesson I would want them to know is that mama's always got their back, especially when daddy starts snoring. Serve with joy and passion, not only in church, but also in the community or any place they have the opportunity to do so. You know, there are some days where the smile comes easy and there are other days where it doesn't. Put the toilet seat down. Like, it's, it's really not that hard. They're very, very small life lessons here, but you know, good reminders for everybody. All right, well now we want to hear from a grandmother. We've heard from uh, the mothers, and now we want to hear from a grandmother. Uh, now sometimes on, on Mother's Day, uh, I've preached about famous women from the past, like Susanna Wesley, like Rosa Parks, or Corey Tenboom. Uh, but today we're going to talk to a famous woman from the present, uh, Linda Rice. And I'm so sorry, I, I'm going to embarrass her. That's my favorite thing to do, is embarrassing the people of, uh, of Purpose Church. I practice on my kids all week so that I can do it for you on Sunday. And so uh, the women of Ch Purpose Church, I want you to know, women today on Mother's Day, the women of Purpose Church, you are my heroes. As I hear your stories, I am just inspired. And uh, you are famous in heaven. Remember that. And Linda is representing all of you um, uh, today. Now, um, you and your husband Lowell have been a part of our church family for 37 years. You've been married for almost 57 years. And here's a picture of your family, of your children and grandchildren together. And uh, as you you told me the story Lowell's father was a pastor in Pomona, but then he went out to Indiana where you 
grew up in Indiana, uh, to a Anderson uh, University in Indiana. And here's the part I love, Linda. That, well, that's where you guys met and, and got married. And uh, Bill Gaither was your minister of music growing up. Bill Gaither was your... Yes. And, and didn't you say that sometimes he'd practice songs on you at the Sunday Often. night service? And, Often. Uh, and the next thing you know, you hear him on the radio. So Correct. that that is just... Like, now, for those of you that are younger, that that didn't mean anything to, <laughs> that would be like growing up in Hillsong Church, okay? Uh, in our generation, growing up with Bill Gaither as your minister of music, that would be like growing up in, in Hillsong. Now, you were both school teachers in California, but then God calls you to Kenya uh, for, from 1970 to 1980. You raised your two boys there uh, for right. part of their childhood. Would you tell me, uh, tell us about what your work was in Kenya during that decade? Um, basically, we were teachers both here in the United States, and we decided to go to Kenya in order to give of our professional expertise in teaching. So the first two years we were there, we both taught in an African government school, but then we were asked to go about 100 miles from there, and Lowell became a full-time missionary, yeah. working with pastors every day, going out in the village, and we both helped the village people build a high school, a primary school, and a preschool. And I was responsible for those three schools. Oh, my goodness. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you come back to the States then. Right. And Lowell taught American government at Claremont High School. Correct. And also coached the basketball team. That which is, is correct. Which is going to come into play here in a moment. Which, you know what, before I forget to ask this question, did you play sports, Linda, at all? I didn't. It's so much I, more single sports. Uh, but I did have a PE minor. Okay. In college. Okay. So I was very interested in sports. Okay. I'm foreshadowing what's about to come here <laughs> as far as the gene pool, the rice gene, right. gene pool. Okay. Uh, you became a principal and, yes. and then eventually a district administrator for which school district? For, Ontario uh, Montclair School District. Okay. And, and so I oversaw all of the principals and assistant principals in the district. Outstanding. I kind of kept them in line. <laughs> Very good. All right. How scary is the principal of the principal? I just can't even imagine. So, okay. Now, you've continued to do mission projects in Africa uh, since you've come right. back to the States. Uh, tell us about some of the work that you've done there. Right. Um, we decided to do the, uh, the mission work once we came home. Really, our purpose was to introduce Americans, uh, friends and family members to the African culture because we love the people so much. And so we established a nonprofit organization and we have work in Kenya and uh, a school in Kenya for handicapped children that we sponsor with our nonprofit. And in Tanzania, another school that, which is a technical school training young people. And then we have two schools in South Africa. One is a primary school and one is a preschool. And our biggest and newest project over the last five years has been a sanitary kit project in order to allow ladies and girls to have sanitary products to use during their monthly cycle. 
wonderful. Now, I've noticed some familiar faces yes. here from our church. Yes. What, which Sunday school classes or groups have you worked with here at, at our church? Mainly duets class okay. has been a big sponsor and also Laugh and Mariners class. Wow. And they have not only been financial sponsors, but many of them have become seamstresses and made dresses and shorts and shirts that we take for the kids in the orphanages. And also... Um, Jan Van Alstyne's group of Dress a Girl. They have made hundreds of dresses for us to take to the, the young girls who have no, not, I mean, it's just a new dress. They've never had a new dress in their life. And the joy of seeing a little girl put on a new dress when she's never had one, it's an experience. Oh boy, that, better than a million dollars. Absolutely, it's worth that. Okay, let's talk about your sons. Um, Grant, your younger son, played for UNLV, University of Nevada, Las, Las Vegas, Vegas. Uh, and then coached Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas to nine straight state championships. And if he wins next year, uh, he's tied right now with some coach from long ago. Long ago. Some rural area, long, long, long year, time. back in the 1930s or yes. 40s, somewhere Correct. long ago. He's tied with them. If, he, if they win this year, he will be the winningest coach in high school basketball history. That is correct. That is just crazy. And then I've got some stats here. 80 of his players have played college ball. 80 in college ball. Four are in the NBA. Three in the NFL. And one in Major League Baseball. Correct. Wow. Okay. And then Dave. David, your older son, he was a Rhodes Scholar at UNLV. Also played for UNLV when they won the national championship back in 1990. And then he went on to coach at UNLV. Uh, he is the third winningest head coach at UNLV in their history. And I remember the game, I do remember, is when he uh, led he the team to the upset of the number one team in the country at that time, University of North Carolina. If, if we go to the next picture there, you'll see him. Oh, well, there they are at the national team meeting uh, President Bush. And then the picture after that, there he is with Roy. Williams after they had just upset uh, the number one team. It in was the quite a night. It was uh, an exciting night. And Roy Williams was a gentleman through and through. Wow. Congratulating the young coach wow. for beating his team. Wow. And he just retired. I yes, think Roy he did. Williams just retired. Yes, he did. So David has coached 26, 26 players who have either been in the NBA or are currently playing in the NBA. Correct. 26 players in the NBA. Uh, here he is with Jimmy Kimmel, you, you know, your daughter-in-law, because um, his foundation, their foundation donated $600,000 to the... To autism. Autism. Uh, they established an autism department to, at UNLV to train teachers to work with autistic children because we do have a grandson who is autistic. Wow. And then I think Jimmy Kimmel has a nephew with yes, some special does. needs. And yes, so they bonded on that issue. My goodness. Okay. So David has coached 26 players who played in the NBA and 104 who have played basketball uh, professionally. Now, most importantly by far, all of your kids and grandkids uh, following after Jesus. And that is the most important thing Absolutely. of all for, for any of us yes. and, and, and for our kids. Okay, now, I'm going to embarrass you some more. Here's a clip from a University of Washington game where David is now the assistant coach and your grandson, his son, Travis, plays for his dad. <laughs> 
That is correct. Okay, so now we're into grandchildren with athletic ability. Now here's Bill Walton with the two of you, with you and Lowell. Uh, Bill Walton, I have heard described, is considered the greatest college player who ever lived. Played for UCLA and that streak of 88 straight wins. Um, and he's doing commentary for this game. And so everybody here at home now, listen carefully. It's just about 60 seconds, this clip. But listen to what Bill Walton says about the Rice family right at the end of this clip. Well, the highlight on senior night, yes, the Huskies won the game, which was big, but this was the start of the game. The very start. And Travis Rice, who is the yeah. son of associate head coach Dave Rice, yeah. his first career start coming off the screen. Oh, hit the three. Wow. Now, you would think that he would just remain starting since he hit the first bucket, and then they won the game. But Travis Rice, part of that uh, Rice family, the, the two children, Dave Rice, who's the assistant coach a long time, played at Las Vegas for Tark, and was on the championship team there, and then... Was their head coach? Head coach, and then his brother, Grant, mm -hmm. who's the coach at Bishop Gorman. They're up to nine consecutive state championships in Nevada. What a great moment, though, for the Rice family on yeah. senior night as Lord. Travis playing his final home game. And all the hours, and Bill, you've seen it over the years, whether it's after shoot-around, even after games, Dave would be out there with Travis just shooting, 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 and rewarded in that great moment for the family. It was well, fantastic. It's one, of, it's one of the great families in the history of Western civilization. Okay. I love that line. <laughs> Bill Walton said, the Rice family, and I quote, is one of the great families in the history of Western civilization. Okay, Linda, I'm gonna be quiet now. We are all ears. Okay, we've been asking this question of Bathsheba. We've been asking the question of the moms of our church. Now we're asking it of you. Um, if your children could only remember one thing that you've said, what would you like it to be? Well, truly, Law and I sort of had a mission statement our entire married life after we were had children. And it was a very short, simple motto. And it was simply, remember who you are. And every time the boys, David or Grant, would go anyplace, it could be to school, it could be to a sporting event, it could be to church, it could be out on a date. As they would leave our home, I would always say, remember who you are. And it wasn't so much that I wanted them to be good because somebody might find out and report back to me what they had done, but that could have happened in our close community where we live because I always told them too that somebody would know somebody who knows me and I probably would find out before they even got home. But anyway, it was just our motto to tell them that they were God's children. Remember who you are, because as a baby, we dedicated to you, you to God, and you are still God's child. My favorite book in the Old Testament is Job, and I call it the character of the comfortable, because Satan kind of challenged God by saying, the only reason Job's family is good is because they're so blessed. They have wealth, they have friends, they have community. And therefore, why wouldn't they be good? 
But the first chapter of Job talks directly to parents. And Job says that whenever my seven sons and three daughters would go out to party or to feast, they would invite me to go with them. But I would say, no, you go ahead. And then the scripture says that he would stay home and purify them. Now, a more modern translation of that says that he would go into his closet and pray for them. So Lowell and my mission was twofold. We wanted them to remember who they are, but just in case, we would always pray for them. And to this day, honestly, every morning at our devotion time together, we named them one by one, Dave and Mindy, Grant and Brooke, and the five grandchildren by name, and we pray for them so that they will remember who they are and that they are a child of God and under God's mercy. Wonderful. Thank you so oh. Much happy Mother's Day uh, you. Uh, to you. And um, thank you, Linda, very, very much uh, for sharing with your church family oh, uh, here so today. Welcome. We really appreciate it. Good deal. Thank you. Okay, so let's get back to Bathsheba and to Solomon. Uh, here's what Bathsheba is going to say uh, to her son. She's going to say, play defense and play offense. Just like Linda Rice being a coach's wife, a coach's mother, and a, a coach's a, a player's grandmother, uh, play defense, but also play offense. So first of all, Bathsheba's going to say, play defense, Solomon, by beware of shadow purposes, distractions, and outright sin. Now, outright sin that's like obvious. So we can usually avoid it. I mean, if, if Satan comes to you on Friday night and says, hey, here's an idea for a fun Friday night. Why don't you go out and rob a liquor store? Okay. Uh, if he comes to me and says that, uh, we can usually figure out, hey, that idea might not be from God. That might be from Satan. But he's never that obvious, okay? It's the little compromises that will get you going in the wrong direction. I love this story. I just saw it a few days ago on the news. It happened, I think, about an incident of a couple of weeks ago. A farmer in Belgium was driving his tractor, and he got annoyed by a large stone that was blocking his path. So he climbs down off the tractor. He drags the stone seven and a half feet off of the path and then continues doing his work on the tractor. Well, it turned out this, this stone that this farmer just drags uh, aside, it turned out to be the boundary marker between Belgium and France. It was, had been there uh, from a treaty signed with France in 1819 after Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo. And so by moving the stone, he had made Belgium seven and a half feet bigger and France seven and a half feet smaller. And so he just thought he was just doing some simple thing by dragging the stone out of the way. And it actually changed the boundaries uh, between two nations. Well, that's the way it is with what we call shadow purposes or shadow missions or uh, distractions. Um, it's just a little bit of a change, a little bit of a compromise, but it ends up being a big deal. Uh, Francis Chan writes, 
Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Uh, John Ortberg, in his book, Overcoming Your Shadow Mission, uh, he writes, the challenges, isolation, and relentless demands of leadership can inspire a variety of fears in the heart of a leader. Among them, the fear of failure, fear of mutiny, fear of criticism, fear of disappointing people. However, the greatest fear leaders face is not something that might happen to them, but something that can happen in them. A degeneration of the heart that robs them of their calling and leaves a deep soul dissatisfaction in its place. A mission is the highest purpose to which God calls us. A shadow mission is an authentic mission that has been derailed, often in imperceptible ways. Part of what makes the shadow mission so tempting is that it's usually so closely related to our gifts and our passions. It's not 180 degrees off track, it's just 10 degrees off track, but that 10 degrees is in the direction of hell. Even Jesus had to battle a shadow mission. It, the, the temptation was to be a leader without suffering, to be the Messiah without the cross. And so Bathsheba here is, is warning her son, who is the king, about these, um, uh, to play defense and to watch out for, for these distractions from the main purpose that God has called him to. And Bathsheba is going to give Solomon here uh, two different examples. Now, if you are following Jesus, you are a king or a queen with a royal purpose. Remember that. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, you, you have a divine mission. You have the, the blood of royalty running through your veins. You, you are a king. You are a queen. You are a prince. You are a princess. So Bathsheba is giving here you and me two areas where you can follow a shadow mission rather than your royal mission. And Bathsheba knows uh, with this first one that Solomon's father David and she had personal experience with this first one that she's going to warn uh, Solomon about. And that is adultery. In verse 3, Proverbs 31, verse 3, uh, she says to her son, Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. Now Solomon did not listen to his mother on this one. And it caused him to fail at his God-given purpose. Uh, First uh, Kings 11, later on it says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, uh, Solomon did not listen to his mother, Bathsheba. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his hearts after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Now this is what John Ortberger just been talking about, a degeneration of the heart. Uh, he allowed himself to be distracted from the main mission that God had called him to as the king of Israel. And this thing happened in his heart, and so he began to follow a shadow mission, a shadow purpose, a distraction, outright sin, rather than what God had called him to do. Now the second one that Bathsheba is going to warn us about here, warns her son about, is warning us about, is addictions. 
Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 4. Let's continue on now. It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave, uh, to crave beer. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Now, here Bathsheba is not talking about a complete abstinence uh, from wine. Uh, or from alcoholic beverages, because that would have been just unheard of in an ancient um, royal, royal court. What she's talking about here is the excessive use of alcohol or an excessive need for it, which would reflect deeper problems like alcoholism or other addictions. Uh, she's saying that wine should be used like medicine to relieve bodily suffering, uh, the way we use uh, pain relievers today, or to relieve mental distress, the way we use um, when doctors um, uh, prescribe for us antidepressants today. She's saying that's how you should use it. Don't, don't make it too central to your life. Don't, don't engage in an excess of it, but use it in ways that are more appropriate. This is what Paul uh, said in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, to a pastor, a young pastor, Timothy, that he was mentoring. He says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. But again, Bathsheba is warning that drinking too much or making drinking uh, too much the center of your life, it'll prevent you from fulfilling God's purpose uh, for your life. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And then in chapter 23, verse 20, do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves with meat. Now, okay, now, now he's talking my language. Uh, now uh, now uh, Solomon is saying, be careful to not make food too central to your life as, as well. To be addicted to food, food to, to, to make uh, overeating too much of a thing of your life. Boy, that one really stings, and that one really convicts me. Uh, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in, in rags. Now, this next section in verse 29 through 35, it, it's kind of funny, and it would be funny if it, if it just weren't so true and if it wasn't so sad about the results of addictions in our life, and this one is particularly about an alcohol addiction. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? And so Solomon here, uh, because of the advice of his mother, is, is warning us about the dangers of addictions of a variety of different types uh, that we can face within our lives that will get us off course from fulfilling God's plan and purpose for our life. Uh, Moses, uh, 400 years earlier, uh, added a couple of things uh, to this list that Bathsheba has that will distract a king from their God-given purpose. And he adds them here in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and, and 17. 
The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses. Um, back then, your power and your prestige was connected to how many horses you owned. And so Moses was saying, hey, if you're, if you're royalty and everybody that follows Jesus as a king or a queen, and you have a plan, a divine purpose for your life. And Moses is saying, if you have that purpose and that plan, don't be distracted by seeking after a prestige or, or power to look good in front of other people, to be able to brag about these things as a king would brag about his great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives. Okay, this is the same warning Moses is giving to kings as Bathsheba gave to Solomon, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When we make um, uh, material things and financial things too much the center, we don't see them as tools to bless other people. We hoard them as a way to bless ourselves. Uh, that will get us distracted from that mission, that purpose that God has for our life as well. Your God-given position in life is to be used. Whatever God has not placed you in your position in life by accident. You have been placed there. It is, it is a blessing that God has put you in your particular position in your life. And your God-given position in life is to be used not to be blessed. What, how can I... How can I manipulate this position? How can I leverage this position I find myself in for my own blessing? It's not to be blessed, but to see our position in life as an opportunity to be a blessing. But here's, here's the wonderful thing. If you use it that way, that is you see your position in life, your job, uh, where you live, your family, wherever your neighborhood is, whatever. If you see that as an opportunity to be a blessing, if you use it in that way, lo and behold, you will end up being blessed more than you can ever imagine. That's just the way it works when you follow Jesus. Now, Bathsheba says you play defense, defense by avoiding adultery, addictions, shadow missions, shadow purposes, distractions, and sin. And you play defense so that you can now play offense. And playing offense is fulfilling your God-given purpose. Now Bathsheba challenges Solomon uh, to fulfill his purpose as king. Uh, picking it up with verse 5. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. Okay, see, if you have these distractions, if you have these addictions, if you have these uh, other things in your life that distract you from the main thing that God has called you to, uh, in this case, it was uh, focusing too much, making uh, drink too much of a center part of his life. Lest they drink, they will then forget what has been decreed. If you're a king and, and, and you're distracted by these things, now you don't think about how to bless other people with your position as king. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and of the needy. So what Bathsheba is saying here to, to Solomon is, if you spend all your time chasing women and partying, you won't be clear-eyed to do what God has called you to do, which is to promote justice and to defend the weak. Let me repeat that. 
If you're too busy chasing women and, 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 or chasing men, uh, you're too busy parting, then Solomon Bathsheba is saying you won't, be, you won't have the clear vision to do what God has called you to do in your position in life, which is to promote justice and defend those who are weak. Uh, Sid S. Buzzle writes, a king who defended those who could not defend themselves and who were of little threat and made little contribution to him would be noted as a just and gracious man. Let's hold that there. I love this. A king who defends those who can't defend themselves. And, and these people, they're no threat to him. And so he doesn't have to, he has, doesn't have to do anything for them because they're no threat to him. Um, they don't make much contribution to him, so there's nothing in it for him. But just because God has called him to do the right thing, a king who defends those who cannot defend themselves, even though it is of no benefit to him, he does it simply because it's right, that would be a man or a woman who would be noted as being just and gracious. Proverbs 18, verse 5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. And now Proverbs 31, verse 20, that Proverbs 31 woman, here she is. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. See, she's not so bad after all, is she? We shouldn't be annoyed by how perfect she seems. She's a wonderful person fulfilling the plan that God has for her life. Isaiah chapter 5, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks because they're all into that. They fail in the area of ministering to those in need who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice uh, to the innocent. And then let's uh, finish up by talking about Jesus. Jesus is the perfect king. Uh, Solomon foreshadows Jesus. He's, he's like a, a, a Jesus 1000 BC. He's what's called a, a type of Christ, a picture of Christ before Jesus actually came into the world. And so Solomon foreshadows Jesus. But uh, here's the problem. Where Solomon didn't listen to his mother, Jesus listened to his mother. He listened to his earthly father. And most importantly, he listened to his heavenly father. And so he listened. He didn't want to be distracted by the things of life that would distract him, the shadow missions, the, the shadow purposes that would distract him from the main purpose, the reason uh, he was to come into the world. It says, as he hung on the cross in Matthew 27, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There, towards the beginning of the crucifixion, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Now, why did Jesus refuse it? Ronald E. Hawkins writes, He refused it, for he wished to keep his mind clear to the last as he took upon himself the sins of all mankind. That's exactly what Bathsheba was saying to Solomon. Keep your mind clear so you can, you can focus, you can zero in on that purpose uh, for which God has, has, has called you. Uh, but then later on in the crucifixion, this is towards the beginning, now towards the end, John 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, he's at the finish line. He's gonna complete the purpose and the mission that God had given him. 
And so the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and for those that receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, when we get to heaven, then it will be party time. Then it will be time to fully enjoy the blessings of heaven for eternity. Revelation chapter 19, verse six. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come. It's come. And, and there's going to be plenty of wine at that wedding ceremony. You say, Glenn, why would you say that? His, the Lamb's first miracle was producing wine for a wedding. Then it'll be time to celebrate. All out. No holds barred. Um, our, our purpose, the, God's plan in our life has been fulfilled. We celebrate with the Lamb at the wedding of the Lamb as he made wine for the, the people at the wedding feast in Cana for his first miracle. Now the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I want to invite you right now as we conclude our time together. I want to invite you to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You say, Glenn, how do I get that invitation? That's the hottest ticket in town. That, that's the most desired invitation there is. Three things. First of all, you say to God, I'm sorry for the sin and the wrongdoing in my life. God, I'm sorry. And then thank you. Sorry, thanks, and please. Second word is thanks. Thanks for dying on the cross. Thanks for not being distracted by anything to fulfill your purpose and to hang on the cross and say, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. Tetelestai, he cried out, it's finished. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. And now please, would you come into my heart Forgive me of my wrongdoing. Be my Savior and be my Lord. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And God says, if you do those three things, sorry, thanks, and please, you will receive a personalized, your name will be written in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. He'll write your name down as being one who has an invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Would you pray with me together? Just pray silently as I pray out loud. Oh God, I'm sorry for the sin and the wrongdoing in my life. But thank you that you died on the cross. You fulfilled your mission, your purpose to save me. Thank you. Please come into my heart. Be my savior. Forgive me of my sin, my wrongdoing. And be my leader and my king 
and my Lord. I want to follow you from this day forward. And I pray it, and we all pray it, in Jesus' name, and all who desire to receive that invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb, said together, amen and amen.